hell that I was in, I'd do anything to be better. I thought like a lunatic. You kind of just have like that little bit of hope that it will get better. You're gonna make it. This began my surrender. I am a witness of my own growth. It's a life beyond your wildest dreams, and I just have to say, it works if you work it. My story, that's what I share. You're listening to Far From Finished, a weekly podcast where we share new, real-life stories of hope and triumph, told by the people who live them. Today's story comes to us from... My name is Nicole Vasquez. My clean date is January 8th, 2012. I am the alumni support lead for American Addiction Centers. I started out with just the worst attitude problem that you could ever imagine. I was a very negative person, child, whatever you want to call it. Um, Very disrespectful. I just... I can't even really explain it. Um, I just felt, I guess, different. And I always felt like there was something wrong with me. I always felt like nobody liked me and just constant pity parties. And like I had to do extra to make up for something that I was missing on the inside. So it came out in just really weird ways, I guess. I started using when I was 14 was the first time that I tried marijuana. And that led to high school. I was a freshman in high school and I was smoking weed and I was drinking a lot. And then that led into my drug of choice, which was methamphetamine. And the first time I used that, I was 15 years old. I can actually explain that day to a T. Um, I specifically remember Sneaking out in the middle of the night at 15 years old and going to hang out with my friends and I got high in the back of one of those like economy vans, like the big white ones that's ironic that they use for treatment centers. Um, Yeah, it was one of those and I remember it like it was yesterday because, you know, that's when I fell in love with meth. So 15 again um, is when I first used meth. It's kind of a funny story, but the very next day, my mother took me to treatment. I was in and out of treatment programs from the time I was 15 to the time I was 18. My addiction looked like a lot of treatment centers. Um, I went to a detox for seven days at 15, and then I transitioned into an outpatient where I was very manipulative. Um, Most drug addicts are, (laughs) but I was really, really good at it, and I was really good at convincing people that I was doing the things that I was supposed to do when I really wasn't. I was drinking and using on the weekends and then going in and testing pot or testing uh, negative and just getting away with it for so long until I finally got caught and kicked out of that treatment center and I still drank quite often and I ended up going into a different outpatient treatment center I think when I was 17 and again it's like the foundation was definitely set for you know recovery in the 12 steps and I understood what everything was but I don't think I fully comprehended that I had a problem. So I just continued to drink mainly. And then 
when I was 18 or when I was 19, I got married. Um, I like to think that everything or anything outside of me can solve my problems. Um, it started at a really young age, even with the drugs and alcohol. I tried to fill that void with guys. So that's kind of what happened when I got married. I thought that it was going to solve all my problems, and that's just what I needed was somebody to love me. That ended badly, and I left him after a year of marriage, and that's when I picked up meth again. So from 20 to two months before my 22nd birthday was my longest run with meth, and that's where the chaos and the insanity was. Um, I was living in a shithole town in California, in Riverside County, and just, you know, where the worst of the worst people are. I just got involved with all of the wrong people. I was in all of the wrong places at all of the wrong times. There was a lot of violence and a lot of gang activity, and I opened up my house and myself to just a lot of really bad situations. I mean, man, like, I'm not supposed to be here today. I'm not. I shouldn't be here. And it's incredible to be sitting here telling this story, knowing all of the stuff that I went through in my addiction. You know, I did anything and everything that I could to get high. I sold my car. I lost my house. I sold my body, all of my possessions, anything that I could do to get high, I did. I remember one time something had happened and I can't remember what it was. But I was crying hysterically and I was in the shower and I remember just being on my knees in the shower just asking for God to help me and to get me out of the position that I was in and like literally 30 minutes later hitting the pipe getting high again. Something that's really crazy about my story and you know I'm not going to go into too much detail but somebody had to die for me to realize that I needed to get my shit together. Um, and even then, it still took a couple of months. But And what it really was is me kind of... I got to the point where everybody had lost faith in me. And, I mean, my mom cut off my phone. And that was pretty eye-opening for me because that woman... I mean, whatever she can do to make sure that she knows where I am at all times, she would do it because... You know, at the time I didn't see it, but it's because she cared about me so much. She just wanted to know that I was alive. When she cut my phone off, that was pretty gnarly for me too. And, um, but basically everybody had turned their back on me and it wasn't until I no longer knew who I was when I looked in the mirror. And I knew better. I knew better. Uh, that was really rough. Doing something that you know that is wrong... <laughs> And continuing to do it anyways is like one of the tough... I can't even explain it. It's the weirdest feeling in the world. But yeah, so what had happened was I did this thing where every couple of weeks I would call my mom and tell her that I wanted help and that I wanted to get clean. And she would tell me, "You, you I can help you, but you have to go to your grandparents' house. And every time she would tell me that, I would start screaming at her and telling her, no, I'm not going to my grandparents' house. I'm not going to do that to them. I didn't want to be coming down at my grandparents' house. And I was really firm about it. I told her I wasn't going to do it. When I finally got clean, I called my mom and I said, Mom, I need help. And she said, 
well, you have to go to your grandparents' house. And I did. That's something that I tell people often is like, you got to be willing to do whatever it takes to get clean. And for a very long time, I wasn't willing to go to my grandparents' house. And when I finally really wanted to get clean, that's exactly where I went. My grandparents have dealt with a lot of people in my family who have struggled with addiction. And they've had to go through it with their own kids and with other family members. And I didn't want to be another family member that they had to deal with. I didn't want to do it. But I finally realized that this was my only choice. So I will tell you that although my mom turned her back on me and turned away from me, she never lost hope. Because the moment that I called her and told her I was ready, she was there with a U-Haul picking me up and ready to take me. I went to my grandparents' house and because of the decision that I made when I was 19 years old to get married, I no longer had insurance. I wasn't on my parents' insurance anymore, so I had to do the whole hitting the pavement, trying to find out where I was gonna go to treatment. Um, so the last day that I used methamphetamine was January 1st, 2012. And I went to my grandparents' house and got on a bunch of wait lists for a bunch of different treatment facilities that were state funded. And finally I called this one and let me tell you something about state-funded treatment centers in California. Like, the wait lists are intense. You have to call twice a week, some of them every single day, to show willingness to, to let them know that you're trying to go. The wait lists are out of control. You could be on the wait list anywhere from three weeks to six weeks. And I called this one treatment center in San Diego County, and I talked to the girl on the phone. Her name was Jackie. And I talked to her on the phone, and she told me, we have a bed available for you Tuesday. And it was a Thursday that she told me that. And I mean, if that's not God, I don't know what is. Because that doesn't happen. That weekend, I decided to go back to the area that I um, was trying to get away from for, you know, one last hoorah. And I ended up drinking that weekend, which is why my clean date is January 8th and not January 2nd. <laughs> it's okay. Everything happens for a reason. So I got to treatment and essentially what I did was learn how to be a grown-up. Um, it's pretty crazy, but at 22 years old, I didn't know how to do simple things like grocery shopping. Uh, the first time I went to the grocery store, actually, I cried <laughs> because I was so overwhelmed. I can tell you that treatment saved my life. I know that some people, for some people, it is possible to... Just go to 12-step meetings, and um, to those people I commend, I, I give them the utmost respect because I had to learn very simple things like how to make my bed and how to clean up after myself and how to work with others and be around others. Um, I think my number one aha moment, and I tell everybody this, is when I truly learned what it meant when people were saying that the world doesn't revolve around you. I had to learn what it meant to not take everything personally. And I mean, it's just the craziest feeling to me when I talk to people about that because so many people are just, I don't know if it's born with or they learn it over time or what, but I just didn't have that. I did not understand that. 
I didn't know that it was okay and perfectly normal to have a bad day. I thought there was something wrong with me. Um, so learning all that stuff and learning about the disease of addiction, how it worked, um, you know, the foundation was definitely planted when I was in and out of treatment as an adolescent, but it wasn't nourished until I got to treatment as an adult. I stood in treatment for five months, um, inpatient residential treatment for five months, and I took every suggestion that was given to me. Um, I attended 12-step meetings on a daily basis. I found a home group. I got connected very quickly because I wasn't in an environment where you kind of (laughs) were forced to stay connected because you were surrounded by people in recovery at all times. The area that I got clean in, North County, San Diego, is an amazing community for recovery and I just immersed myself in fellowship, in hanging out with people. I got a sponsor after 30 days. I started working my steps and I um, I took suggestions. Like that's the biggest thing that I did. No matter what somebody told me and if it didn't work, then I didn't do it after a while. But I took every single suggestion that I was given, let me tell you, except for one. <laughs> There was one suggestion that I didn't take, and um, it's one suggestion that I preach about today, which is not to get in a relationship in the first year of recovery. And I did that. I got into a relationship at probably about 45 days clean. We were together for about a year and a half. Although I was able to work a, a solid program of recovery during that time, I worked all my steps, I worked with a sponsor, I stayed connected. I had a job. I was doing really well. It didn't end well. It didn't end well. And what happened was I let it chase me out of the rooms. I let it chase me away from the fellowship, the 12-step fellowship. And when I moved to Tennessee, it made it easier for me to not go to meetings when I got here because I wasn't going to them when I left California. Eventually what happened was... I stayed clean um, and I didn't go to meetings for about a year and I met a woman named Marjan who worked for AAC at the time and um, she started dragging me to meetings in Tennessee and once she did that I found a sponsor, started working my steps again and I started taking service positions in the rooms and that's really what helped me. I learned through not only service in the 12-step rooms, but my job that being of service to others is what I'm called to do in life. Although I do very behind-the-scenes stuff in my position, I love to be able to be support for my people who are support for (laughs) alumni of American Addiction Centers. And when I get to do things like go to the anniversaries for our facilities and just watch everybody enjoying themselves and having a good time and having fun in recovery and the love that they have for the alumni coordinators for American Addiction Centers, there's just no better feeling in the world. This job has afforded me the opportunity to become who I am today Working at American Addiction Centers, I have not only grown professionally, but 
personally, I just love giving back. And that's what I get to do in my work life and in my personal life. So it's pretty awesome. As far as somebody who's on the fence about coming to treatment, my personal experience with treatment is that it saved my life. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for going to an inpatient residential treatment center. I had to learn the very basics of life. And I know that it can seem so scary, but the other end of it is just so much more worth it than pushing through that fear. My advice to you would be to pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. I don't care who you call, but pick up the phone and tell somebody you need help. Um, As for those who are in recovery and struggling, also pick up the phone. I heard a very good friend of mine say, the shame is not in struggling. The shame is when you're struggling and you don't pick up the phone and call somebody. When she said that to me, it kind of clicked in my head and made me realize that that's so true. We can't sit in our shit. We have to get it out and we have to share it with somebody and chances are they're going to have a suggestion or something that you can do to get through it. The biggest thing to remember is that as cliche as it sounds, this too shall pass.